just going to get into God's word. Um, we're going to just pray once again, just ask God blessing upon us. And Lord, we thank you for this time together. Father, we just pray now as we come to your word, just lead us, just speak to us, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So if you turn in your Bibles, um, and uh, we are in Acts chapter 12, just the very end, going into the first few verses of chapter 13, and it says this. It says, meanwhile, this is verse 24, Acts 12, 24, meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission in Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them, among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manin, the childhood companion of King Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work of what I've called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. And here in verse 24, we come to Luke's third summary statement, which divides up his book, but also it reminds us of the central theme of this book of Acts. The word of God continued to increase and spread. And you see, the big idea of the book of Acts is about the good news and the spreading of the word about Jesus Christ. So as we get into this new section that we're looking at today, we will see this new movement in this spread, the start of missions. When you think about the gospel the way it was preached in, in Bible times, we often have this idea in our minds that it was into a quiet sort of rural village setting. However, the church in the book of Acts is almost certainly urban-based. It, it's, it's in a busy, I guess, the more highly populated cities in that, at that time. The historian Wayne A. Meeks writes this. He says, within a decade of the crucifixion of Jesus, the village culture of Palestine had been left behind and the Greco-Roman city became the dominant environment of the Christian movement. In other words, it's out of this urban setting that the church grows. And it makes sense, of course, because, well, that's where the people are. But this has got nothing to do with chance. This has got everything to do with the sovereign, divine will and purpose of God. So in verses 1 to 3, we are introduced to the mission director. His name? Holy Spirit. And there are a lot of, lots of unanswered questions um, here about maybe exactly how the Spirit made Barnabas and, and Saul, um, how, how he made their new roles known. But what's very plain is that God has a job for them to do, and their role is very clear. The question of knowing God's will, God's direction in our lives is probably still the most common question that I get asked. How can I know the Holy Spirit's direction? So for the purpose of, for today, I want to really just explore something of that from, from what's in this passage. 
looking at how the Holy Spirit directs us personally, but also then looking at how the Holy Spirit directs us corporately as his church, and then at the very end, just bringing the idea of how mission is birthed by the Holy Spirit through the local church, through apostolic leadership. So first of all, the Holy Spirit brings personal direction. Paul often spoke of the will of God as he shares his plans with his friends in many of his, of his later letters. And it's worth noting that Paul never considered the will of God to be a chain that held him back, but rather it was the key of opening doors and actually setting him free. Jesus said in John chapter 4 verse 34, he says, my food, in other words, the thing that I need, the thing that sustains me, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And the best way to live is to be someone who obeys God, who seeks first the kingdom of God, and then boasts only in Christ Jesus. So whether your business is on a building site or perhaps in a church or in a company or at home or school or university or or wherever you are, you need to want Christ's will to triumph more than your wants or even your plans. After all, his plans are always better than yours. No matter how well-founded you may think yours actually are, So in Proverbs 3, verses 5, we're told, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all his ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. So what was true for Paul and true for Barnabas is equally true for you in your life. Listen, God was leading Paul, leading Barnabas. He's leading them to, be, to go into the nations. But God has also got a unique plan for your life as well. You have got a unique ministry because no two lives are the same. However, it's fair to say that there. There's something true for each and every one of us. There's something true for every single Christian. So we are all called to pray. We're all called to rejoice, to thank God. We're all called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're all called to live a pure life, to be obedient to God. In fact, every command of the Bible given to believers is part of the will of God and must be obeyed. At the same time, God does not call all of you to do the same job, to have the same gifts, or even to fulfill the same ministries. God's will is tailor-made for you. But first, you need to know his will. I don't believe that God's will is actually difficult to understand or to discover. See, if you are willing to obey, God will reveal his will to you. And obedience is the key to spiritual knowledge. Listen, God does not reveal his will to the careless or to the rebellious, but to those who are ready, those who are willing to listen to him. So I'll say it again. Obedience is the key. You want to know God's will? You want to know God's purpose for your life? Obey. Obey him. In fact, God's desire is that you are filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Colossians 1 verse 9. 
But the thing is, we don't get to pick and choose what we want to obey. We need to obey all of God's commands, all of God's word. See, everything in your life is important to God and he has a plan and he has a plan for every single detail. So you need to start by obeying him in the obvious things, the things that he's already to reveal to you. God's word says, pray, spend time with me. God's word said, read my word, spend time in my word. God's word tells us to worship God. God's word tells us to be holy people, to be obese in that area. So all spiritual wisdom and understanding comes from God. And listen, as you humbly submit to his will in those areas, God will guide, he will direct you. In fact, as you learn to obey in those areas, then you will also learn to obey in the others as well. And I think one of the reasons why some people struggle is because they think that God's will is some sort of cold, impersonal, perhaps rather fragile, mechanical process. And the thought is this, if we, if we get something wrong, if, 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 we, if we disobey God, then, we'll, then we're out of God's will for the rest of our lives. There's no coming back, everything's finished. But God's will is not some sort of glorified spiritual vending machine that only accepts the right change. The will of God is a living It's a loving relationship between God and his children, a relationship that's not destroyed even by disobedience. Instead, this is the love of the perfect father. He still loves his children, even if sometimes he has to discipline them. In the same way that our earthly fathers will lovingly correct and train their, their children, so will your father in heaven. And you need to know this, Even when you or I sin or walk away from God's will, it is not the end of everything. You may well suffer the consequences of sin and disobedience because sin does have consequences, but God's purpose is always to bring you back into his will and into his purposes for your life. In fact, we see examples of this all the way through the Bible. But perhaps one of the most extreme examples is is in the story of, of, of Jonah. You know the story? Most of you probably will. Jonah heads off to sea in completely the wrong direction. He finds a quiet spot in the bottom of a boat. And Jonah has run away from the word of God. He's, he, he's refusing to repent. He eventually ends up going in for a death swim. In fact, he just really wants to die. He wants any way of getting out of this. And in that moment, he is in a state of absolute helplessness. Yet for Jonah... God turns up in the most unlikely of places. Inside a stinky, smelly fish. And as he cries out to God in repentance, his life is saved. In fact, he goes on to fulfill God's plan for his life. And the more that you learn to obey, the more you will experience the will of God in your life. Now, if you talk to the average person in the street, they may believe in God, but they believe in a helpless God, a God who's got no control over the bad things that happen in this world. But listen, this is not the God of the Bible. In fact, in Psalm 46, verse 8, we're invited to come and see the works of the Lord. God invites you to experience him. And as his will unfolds within your life, faith rises, your trust increases, 
See, God's goal is always ultimately for his own glory. He is all-powerful. He is above all others, and therefore he is worthy of all praise and worthy of all of your trust. But if it is true, even for a moment, that this world or the people of this world are beyond God's control, well, then he is no longer your protector. You are simply a victim of fate. But as you experience that the sovereign God is in control of every situation within your life, this becomes not just a rich blessing, but which of course it does, but you grow in knowing that God is God, that his grace is sufficient. In fact, the more that you obey, the easier it is to discover that God, what God wants you to do. It's like learning to swim or riding a bike. You eventually get the feel of it, and it just becomes second nature to you. So how do I determine God's will for my life? Start with the things that you know you ought to do, and then do them. That's where you begin. Start, what, what God has spoken clearly, start there. Start with prayer, start with spending time, start with worship, start with, with, with just the, the very clearly obvious things in God's word. Start by obeying there. Do those things. And then the Holy Spirit will begin to open up ways in other areas and the next step within your life. By experience, you will learn to listen, you learn to discern, you learn to prove the will of God. And you will learn both from the successes, but listen, you are going to also learn from your failures as well. We're programmed in our society, we don't want to fail. We just don't want to let anything down or even let ourselves down. But listen, failure is only a failure when you don't learn from it. We must never think that failure to do God's will is going to permanently affect your relationship with the Lord. Listen, as you confess your sins, as you receive his forgiveness, you can learn from that mistake. Often we will learn more from our failures than we will ever learn from our successes. Don't be afraid to fail, but make sure you learn. Second thought on this that we must do God's will with all of our heart. Again, Jonah is a good example of this. He knows the will of God. In fact, he does the will of God after a lot of persuasion, admittedly, but he doesn't do it with all of his heart. You see, he may have thought he loved God and, and he probably did love God, but he certainly doesn't love the people of Nineveh. And God tells us in his word that we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what it is to obey God. That's what it is to follow God. And Paul picks up this theme in 2 Corinthians because his teaching on giving also applies to every other area of our lives. He says this, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Corinthians didn't seem to have any joy in what they're doing for the Lord. They're giving only because they have to, not because they want to. Their heart is simply not in it. And we discover that God is so much more concerned about our hearts than anything else. God wants your heart this morning. You may say the right things. You may even be able to do some of the right things. But listen, ultimately, God's after your heart. Your heart needs to be changed. 
the secret to a happy life is to understand God's grace and find delight and find your satisfaction in him. And it's only when you love God that you will enjoy serving God. And when you do God's will from your heart, you are enriched no matter how difficult the task may be. The heart that loves God and wants sincerely to do his will is the most important thing. And as you do, you will enjoy deeper fellowship with Jesus. You will enjoy God's blessing and you will experience the power, but also the leading of the Holy Spirit within your life. So the Holy Spirit brings personal direction, but he also brings corporate direction. See, up to this point, people have simply spoken about Jesus wherever they have gone. The church that began in Jerusalem didn't just stay there. Many of them begin to spread out, admittedly because of persecution, but they spread to other cities, including Samaria, Damascus, Caesarea, Antioch, and Syria. In fact, there are at least 40 different cities mentioned here in the book of Acts. Then from Antioch, Paul and his helpers carry the gospel from there to the then known world at that time. In fact, the records of Acts chapter 13 to 26 is almost a review of ancient geography. But actually, just in the next two chapters, Dr. Luke describes Luke's ministry in six different cities, beginning and ending in Antioch. And all the time, they're sharing the message of Jesus. But what is becoming very clear is that if the whole world is to hear of Jesus, people must deliberately go to places where he is not known. So here in verse, in chapter 13, the Holy Spirit is leading them, this corporate leadership within this church, but he's leading them to this very deliberate decision to go to new ground to tell people the gospel. This is the heart of God for our world. He wants people to know about Jesus. This is why the Holy Spirit kickstarts this mission trips and why the work of, of mission is still as important today as it was back in those early days. Henry Martin once said, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we must become. This is how Henry how Frank Horton put it in a hymn that has become associated with the OMF Missionary Society. It's quite old English, so stick with me on this. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee, renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. Where other lords beside thee hold their unhindered sway. Where forces who defied thee, defy thee still today with none to heed their cries for life and love and light. Unnumbered souls are dying and passing into the night. We bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who give their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message. Ours, fired by the same ambition, to thee we yield our powers. 
O Father who sustained them, O Spirit who inspired, Saviour whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired, from cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, forth on the errand send us to labour for thy sake. We go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. What a hymn. What truth. We need to live and apply to our lives today. But thirdly, not only does the Holy Spirit birth or give us direction individually according to his will. Not only does it, is it for the church and for the wider church, but also we see how mission is birthed by the Holy Spirit. It's out of local churches through the apostolic leadership. Paul and Barnabas have been ministering in Antioch. And they're called by the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the Roman world. See, up until now, Jerusalem has been the center of ministry. Peter has been the key apostle. But of course, Peter is not stopping. He carries on. The church in Jerusalem has not sort of phased away. No, it's still there. It's still functioning very, very well. But from this point on, Antioch would become a new center. Paul would become a new apostolic leader. The church was on the move. This is a new direction. The Holy Spirit is at work and the church is expanding and extending. And Luke lists five different men who are ministering in this church. There's Barnabas. We've already met him in chapters 4, 9, and 11. This man is just known as the encourager. He's the guy you want to be around. Because he builds you up and he speaks powerfully into your life. Simeon. We actually don't know much about Simeon. We think he probably comes from Africa. Menin close friend, or even perhaps the foster brother of Herod Antipas, the guy who killed John the Baptist. And then, of course, there's Saul, who becomes known as Paul. And these are a really mixed group of people from varieties of different backgrounds. And God has already called Paul to minister to the Gentiles, and now he summons Barnabas to work with him. And the church confirms their calling, commissions these men to be sent out. And this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit working through the local church to equip and to enlist believers to go forth and to serve. Listen, that, this is the function of what we're meant to be. This is the function of local church. And the Bible tells us after Jesus ascends into heaven, he says he gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints until the church is brought to full maturity. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 and 13. And the key word here, the key word here is until. And very few of us I think would disagree that the church has still got to reach maturity. See, we still need these gifts. So if any of these gifts are missing from our churches, we are going to struggle to, to reach God's intended goal. So we need prophets, more of them. We need evangelists, much more of them. We need pastors and teachers, much more of them. But today I want to focus 
on the role of the apostle as it sets the scene for what is going to happen, what's going to come to pass in the next few chapters as we look, as we look into further on in Acts. And to fully understand the role of the apostle, we need to understand the role and the goal in building churches. Terry Virgo describes it as this. Ending up with a mature expression of the body of Christ, the saints are not only to know sound doctrine, but also to be equipped for works of service. They are to find their particular gifts, contribution to the church, sorry, they are to find their particular gift, contribution to the church life, and should be encouraged to function in them. Listen, we need the gifts of the Spirit. Peter O'Brien argues the presence of a gifted person within the body makes us dependent on one another and every Christian fully utilizing his or her gift for the growth of the church, for the growth of the body, divine fullness and will be experienced. Divine, sorry, divine fullness will be experienced. So the role of the apostle one of the distinctive features of an apostle is this, is that they are master builders, they are foundation layers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. See, Paul never saw himself as some sort of corporate, sort of the top of some sort of corporate church pyramid or, or like some chief executive. Paul was a steward of God. He was a servant of the Lord. But I want you to note that Paul's apostolic authority does not come from some special title or for some, some, from some office, but it comes from two things. First of all, the grace of God in calling and equipping for the particular gift of apostleship. And secondly, it's about the working relationship he has within a particular church. And his desire was to proclaim the unfathomable riches of Christ and lead people into understanding of what it is to be in Christ, but also to have Christ in them. And listen, this is still the apostolic burden. So Paul preaches the hope of Christ's death and resurrection. In fact, later on in, in some of the letters, we will see this even more clearly because as the creeping death of legalism moves into churches, as subtle dangers of heresy begins to grip churches and pulls people away from Jesus, Paul speaks out the truth of the gospel. It never changes. In fact, he never deviates from preaching the truth of the cross. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus Christ is reigning victorious over all. So we need to still speak truth with authority into our, life, into our situation here today. It stirs to set people free from legalism, frees them from super spirituality and from other dangers. Listen, it's very easy to become blinded by our own feeling, feelings or even to put the wrong emphasis into certain areas within our life. However, one of God's greatest provisions to safeguard his church from going astray is apostolic ministry. Apostles are essentially traveling people who are able to objectively appraise the, the local church. So Freedom Church, as you know, is part of Christ Central Church, is part of the umbrella of New Frontiers churches. And we work together under the apostolic leadership of Jeremy and Ann Simpkins. And they have a team that works with them. In fact, they're now serving about 275 churches at last count. 
Church plants as well, of course, in England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, Canada, Scandinavia, Africa, and, and so it goes on. And, and very often we need this outsider to be able to come in, to see the bigger picture, to proclaim the way forward with godly authority. In fact, it's very often the elders and church leaders who really benefit from this apostolic ministry. In fact, there are are times in church life when leaders just struggle to know what direction to turn, particularly in the middle of a difficult situation. It's just easy to, to simply be too close. That's why we need the apostle, why we, why we need the prophet. And God speaks through them to bring direction. Various times over this church plant, Jeremy has spoken very clearly into the direction of this church. I can remember back in the early days when we were praying about moving out of, of our home into, a, into a, a, a public venue and chatting with Jeremy about it. And he simply said that God wants to give you an upper room that can be a place that you can break out from. Now, he's speaking, I guess, and using that, that Acts chapter 2, where the disciples first met in the upper room, but actually unknown to him, we're looking at Bishop Lloyd's Palace at that time, we're meeting, which is, which is upstairs in the rows in, in Watergate Street, and he confirmed to us, and we began meeting there until we, we became too large for there. In fact, I want to say that the large majority of times that we've met with Jeremy and Anne, I leave with a confirmed sense of direction and confirmation over my life, but also over the life of Freedom Church. Listen, that is the role of the apostle, master builder. But another major aspect or role of the apostle is the breaking of new ground for the gospel. And this is actually what Paul does in these chapters. He goes into new areas, he plants new churches, and as we'll see probably in, in later chapters, not only does he open up new areas, but he also brings this sense of unity to God's work. There are stories of how Paul not only brought spiritual help, but also brought material help to churches in need. So the example is the poor church in Jerusalem who were helped by the churches that Paul visits elsewhere. And an apostle anticipates that local churches are going to grow in grace and in the releasing of gifted people to this ever-increasing sphere of influence that will result in the planting of new churches. However, when churches fail to mature, they will delay the breaking of new ground. So apostolic advancement is intimately linked with local church development. Healthy churches release people. The result is new churches being planted, new nations being opened to the gospel. Listen, if you've been a devoted this year, you will have seen this in action. You will have seen the bigger picture. Hopefully, you've got this sense of you're part of something much bigger, this worldwide network of churches. But I also hope it's encouraged you to continue to pray for our church to see growth here, but also to see the planting of more churches in our nation as well as the, global, as well as the growth of the global church. We live in a nation where about 90% of our population never, in fact, that's probably an underestimation, it's probably more like 95% of our population never go near a church and have no concern for God, or at least little concern for God. And if we want to see that tide turn in our nation, we need a greater number of new churches, churches that are healthy, powerful communities built on God's word, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, there are churches being planted, but we are a church who believe God's called us to plant more churches. There's a very good chance that maybe some of you, even sitting here today, 
may be leading a church plant at some point in the future. It may be you're part of a church planting team. But I believe that God has called us to be ascending church, and that needs to be part of our DNA. So keep praying. Let's believe for God for great things. Let's, believe, let's dream big dreams. Listen, the call to be a church that plants other churches is one of the prophetic words that was spoken over freedom in the very early days. But for this to come to pass, it means each and every one of you playing your part, using your gifts, following your calling over your life. Listen, we need each other. Even the most gifted modern apostle cannot work alone. So Jeremy, as a team of, as as apostolic teams ministering into the Christ central churches, amazing group of leaders, many of them who lead their own local churches, but they know that their calling is not just to the local church, but to the church at large. And as they work together, they multiply and they extend this apostolic reach. Listen, these teams are made up of many different people with different gifts, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, administrators, and the list, of course, could go on. But I want to finish just with one final thought and one final encouragement and challenge even. It's so important that you know your gifting. You know what God has called you to do. One of the most dangerous things that you can end up doing is moving into an area of ministry that you've just not been called to do. Listen, it's going to lead to frustration. It leads to insecurity. So listen, as we function together in the gifts that God has given us, we are going to see incredible things happen. And then we will see the biblical promise fulfilled that God's kingdom will grow and there will be no end to the increase of the government of Christ. And spirit-filled churches provide the key for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And this is my deep longing, it is my prayer that we would see such a level of multiplication in our days. That we would impact not just our nation, that we'd see churches planted from here around us into North Wales, into other parts of Cheshire or wherever God takes us. But also we believe that God would, would also use us in some way or other to the unreached people groups of this world. Let us begin to pray. Let us begin to seek God. But let us begin to know what God has called us to do and also me to do. Let's stand together as we just finish. Lord, you're good, you're merciful. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that you love us so much. Thank you, Lord God, you're a God of forgiveness. Lord, even when we mess up, you're there for us. Lord, even when we've got it wrong sometimes, Lord, you continue to draw us back into yourself, closer to you. So, Father, I want to pray over us now. Holy Spirit, just come, just minister into our hearts. Father, where there's uncertainty about direction, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, bring certainty. But Lord, I want to pray more than anything else, Lord, that you would help us to get things in place within our lives in terms of our obedience for you, in terms of how we follow you. Because, Lord, out of that, according to your word, Lord, you will bring very clear direction. So, Lord, help us to obey you in the obvious. Help us to get the basics right. 
And Holy Spirit, we say we need you even in that. So bring direction, bring clarity in Jesus' precious name. But Father, I want to pray over our church right now. I want to pray, Father, for that release. Lord, I pray, Lord, for that multiplication over us. Father, I want to pray, God, that you would raise up new leaders, that you would, Lord, raise up new gifted people, Lord, within this church. Thank you, Lord God, you've given them to us already. Thank you that there are many, multiple people already here who you've gifted amazingly. And Father, I want to pray for boldness as we step out into the gifts that you've called us to do. Thank you, Lord, for the prophets here. Lord, Father, I pray, Lord, they'd step out in boldness. Lord, thank you, Lord, for the evangelists you've put among us here. Father, I pray, Lord, for a new sense of boldness as they step out in you. Lord, for the preachers, the teachers, the administrators. Lord, for those um, who are encouragers. Lord, those with a gift of hospitality among us. Father, I pray for just a new sense of courage to step out in the gifting that you've put within each and every one of us. And we ask that in your precious name, Lord God, we give you the glory and we give you the honor. And we say together, amen, amen, amen.